Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Uddang dhammang sanghang namasami So my greetings to the assembly and take the this request to say a few words on the Dhamma being the uh, a, a day of commemoration Vesak Buddha's birth, enlightenment passing away, passing to Nibbana then uh, the theme kind of presents itself we are celebrating, we are commemorating, bringing something to mind um, that obviously means quite a lot for us Mm. Uh, and uh, meant a lot for a lot of people and the way it kind of straddles cultures and climates and different character types so that's part of the the uh, beauty of it. The thing that, that deepens it to me is the fact that it's not localized and it's not um, it's not it doesn't specify particular individuals. It it tends to heighten and bring into fruition some um, beautiful qualities in people. It's sure, you know, but it doesn't really matter their nationality, their gender, where you know where. Lots of their specific personal history doesn't really matter. There's something very universal in it. Um, the calling you know, and the rising of faith in what's good, what's beautiful, what's true. And I think for um, one sees in the West particularly, this one of the most lovely features of it is seeing, experiencing the arising of faith you know faith you know, is a very strong element in the Asian culture but in the West it's not really faith kind of culture it's a very much do it, work it out get it done for yourself uh, you know it's very much more kind of all personal reliance is the model and faith implies a kind of opening and a trusting and a feeling you're part of something, something opens you up. And this is the thing, it's a very uh, wonderful movement of the mind. The day we were out on um, arms round in Ukiah, and I was commenting, as I've commented several times since I've been here, on the developments that have occurred. Um, obviously, they're, they're kind of they're, um, steered and they are guided and they are they give rise to tremendous efforts for their rise from a place of faith if there wasn't the faith there wouldn't be the resources there wouldn't be the effort you know you don't put effort into something like this it's not going to give you anything any rewards <laughs> you know on a material level but if there hadn't been that faith there wouldn't be the rising of effort of, of aspiration of commitment and the arising of faith is a, is a very precious um, and special quality, something that I think we need to bear in mind. Um, quite miraculous, really. Mm. And the Buddha, when you think of it, if you can't have faith in the Buddha, what can you have faith in? You know, we pay for faith in all kinds of things, but temporary things, things that give rise to a little bit of faith, faith in their 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 friends, faith in their country, faith in their football team, you know, <laughs> something that you know lifts one up, gives one a feeling of, yes, there's a greater than just me that I belong to. But these really pale in significance to the Buddha, the Buddha represents the truth, the pure, the joyful, the compassionate, the wise, the discerning, the tremendously potent potential in human beings to have 
faith, deep faith in the Buddha is also uh, having faith in something in all of us. We would have made this very clear, saying if you cultivate like this, you too will realize what I've realized, know what I know. Hmm. So, just noticing today, you know, how particularly how the whole monastery is developed from this basis of, of faith and uh, you know, seeing something good you know, something that, that makes them lifts them up makes them feel bigger than themselves not just uh, kind of getting by some project but actually something that's, that's tapping in and encouraging deep values to be felt and known in themselves I was in uh, Ukiah today, noticing how last I was there um, three years ago. You know, the Bindabar, the arms round has developed. And, uh, you know, you go arms round, you walk around, you stop off here, stop off there. And some of the people I kind of half recognize was the new people. And the thing is, everybody looked happy, giving things away. Everybody wanted the monks to come by uh, and give them things and looked happy <laughs> doing so really happy and not and not excited happy but happy in a kind of joyful loving way mm-hmm. this is a really fine thing to see isn't it you know on this little town in in California you know, it's lovely uh, you know where the ones not just looking in terms of material requirements, but there's a kind of people's minds opening to some larger sense where they feel joyful. They're stepping out of their daily routines. You know, we were going to a small restaurant and the music's playing, you know, and the people are lining up for their cup of joe in the morning and their bun or whatever they have with their little drink. There's this whole kind of thing swinging along and there's just these the three monks standing there in the background, three of us just standing there. Just wait, you know. And then somebody comes bustling out with a little tray and, and then we start chanting. I don't know whether I imagined it, but this chant, this Pali chant, the animal done, just seemed to kind of slide right through the music. <laughs> it was interesting because it was not ag- aggressive, it wasn't we weren't belting it out. But it was where just the kind of steady, sonorous uh, brightness of the chanting just kind of seemed to just move through this music like a, like um, like fog or like a mist or like a sun sunlight through 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 clouds. So it's very steady, and you feel the whole everyone in the in the in the little restaurant was aware of that. You know, kind of that moment in that particular that sense, that tonality of oh yes. The joyful, the good, the renunciant, the pure, the harmless. And uh, it's lovely, you know, to, to, to experience this being manifested. You, know, you come to a, a place like this and I walk out of the kuti in the morning as a deer. The deer don't run away. They kind of look at you, twitch their ears, look at you a bit more, twitch their ears around and just keep grazing I feel really moved by that you know because they know this is a place we're not going to get shot <laughs> it didn't take them long to figure it out either I think how wonderful there are places where deer don't you know bolt at the sight of a human being and this this to me is a, a sign of you know this is what <laughs> Buddha's bringing around <laughs> And that one can feel this kind of lovely sense of uh, harmlessness and the joy of harmlessness and the joy of generosity and the joy of trust and the joy of of a kind of uh, an unhurried and uh, openness. Kind of like you must feel the sphere of of the faith element just arising in the mind, the mind kind of opening up and all the little niddering concerns and duties and urgencies and don't feel quite like this just kind of just just shift away like clouds in the background and it feels bright happy mm. 
and uh, since it's going to, uh, you know, when I was in India, of course, India is very walking on um, pilgrimage in India for several months, so it's pretty tough in many ways, just sleeping in the paddy fields and eating whatever poor villagers could, could find, which would be just a bit of rice and some dal, so you get grubby and sweaty and dirty and hungry and sick and all this kind of thing confused and bitten by mosquitoes and all the, that thing so it definitely is a, a raw experience but every time I come to a Buddhist holy place even though Buddhist holy places are often you know there's there's hustlers and and uh, kind of people out to make money out of tourists and yet and I'd almost be feeling well, I'm not going to get inspired this is just another little Indian village to me. It's just another place on the road. I'm, you know, I go there, and I go to some like Kushinagar, where there's this beautiful pagoda with a reclining Buddha, and I go in this feeling, ah, oh, it's just another place, and oh, <laughs> and all that kind of cynical, hard-bitten attitude would just fall away, and it's like taking a bath and all the grime coming off. Yeah. The same with Bodhagaya, you know, oh, Bodhagaya, that's another grubby little Indian village, you know. You go to Bodhagaya and I'm holding this thought in my mind. <laughs> and I come to the temple and then suddenly this thought just can't keep going, it just butters out because there's this whole uh, panorama of, of people of all different nationalities, you know, Japanese and Europeans and Tibetans and monks and nuns and just walking around the, the Bodhi tree um, chanting or reciting mantras or praying or making offerings you, think, you, just, you just go into it and just give up being a hard-headed factual westerner <laughs> just feel joyful instead for no, for no, for no reason, you know, which is very, very dis- irritating for a kind of <laughs> <laughs> rational faculties. There's got to be a reason for this. Damn it! I should figure it out. I want to be able to do my faith at the right time when I want to. <laughs> just it to kind of well up. But there it is, you know, and, and uh, it's part of the the whole. Um, this beautiful sense that one I begin to experience myself in what are they called like the indriyas, the, the um, support faculties and the enlightenment faculties and all these lists of things that um, that you see in books. You know the the eight the foundations of mindfulness and the indriyas and the balas and the uh, powers and the and you think oh I've got to do I've got to do these. You know, I've got to do faith, and after I've done some faith, I go on to energy, and I've done my energy, I get some mindfulness, I do some mindfulness, and then get samadhi, and then I get my wisdom, the payoff. You know, and it doesn't really happen like that. You know, they they, they do, they do, they do rise dependent upon causes and conditions. But they're not really, they don't come from me doing it. They come from me being touched by something that that generates it and certainly there's that you get a sniff of something you get a whiff of something you see something there's something you really wants to be there and it's uh, it's very beautiful and mysterious to recognize that I'm not my personality <laughs> there's something a lot bigger than me living under this skin <laughs> something quite wonderful in the, in the human mind, it's not just my socially conditioned uh, persona. My mind is a lot bigger than that, and when it gets a whiff of something good, it starts to open up whether I like it or not, or understand it or not. And uh, in fact, this is so. You know, the Buddha said the problem is ignorance. Is that we ignore, we lose contact, we forget, we contract. We settle for we shrink into something that's confused, distracted, um, restless, unsatisfied, and yet it feels like me. (laughs) 
and we tend to proceed from that base of the kind of contracted slightly agitated um, thinking, figuring things out doing things, regular guy whatever it is you know, basis of that being a reality uh, uh, and this is this is a whole setup is avijja or not really getting it, not really sensing it and uh, it's through the the uh, touching into into where one is really deeply sensing, one is sensing something far more uh, uh, bright in in one's own mind, hmm. and getting that message is sitting on something a lot bigger, and then really paying attention to it, in uh, bringing it to light. Clarif- being clear about that, uh, dwelling in it, appreciating it, exercising it, remembering it, recalling it, that one dispels that habit of ignorance, which is a habit to disconnect, to forget, to connect to something that's kind of much smaller and more confused and much more kind of socially formed, you know, or formed through biases and uh, confusion, form through its own confusion. It's like one loses touch. And you know when you get vertigo or something like that and you lose balance, something in your mind just panics and you shrink and you just start clutching at things. You know, that's, that's, you might say that's an analogy for ignorance. And in that state of panic, you know, you really do feel like you're about to fall over or, or get killed or something like that. You, you know, you really feel it feels real and your whole system is charged up and rushing around inside and so you say, look, you don't need, you know, it's not. I was with somebody in the mountains a few weeks ago who suffers from vertigo and I'm standing right beside this person and like, for me, there's nothing to fear, you know, like we're standing on solid ground. I mean, the mountain's not going to fall down. And yet for them, the reality uh, was uh, of extreme peril. And, you know, what triggers this off, of course, is is just uh, personal karma. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it really takes just the presence of something that is not operating in that way, not operating on the anxiety, grab it, fear it, um, panic uh, systems that uh, are that we tend to get forced into or or find ourselves lost in hurrying into, scurrying into, burrowing into and the whole path is one that's based upon a different movement of the mind out of the spin, out of the tightness, out of the contractedness into something larger, slower, still, soft, opening it's like that, like the lotus and we, you know, it was just to um, have something touch you that causes that to arise is a wonderful occasion. Whether that's a Buddha or a teacher or something a teacher said or something you heard or a situation, just to have that arise and to remember that and to look into that, that itself is. Um, uh, blessing because in that you see something you realize something in yourself something bigger because mm. faith is not the only um, faculty or, or to that uh, is cause but when you dwell in it when you begin to look into it then it does by itself it arouses energy because one gets kind of inspired. Think, oh, yeah, what's that? I don't have to be this. I can be that. I don't have to be stuck in this. I can open into that. How, how does that? What, what's happening? How does that happen? What's, what supports that? Um, and uh, the Buddha. So the, this is called the arising of energy, the virya, or persistence, a kind of a terrier-like doggedness to to ferret out what's going on 
how come I got inspired? How come I'm not just that person? And virya naturally expresses itself in terms of one starts to make efforts, various kinds of efforts. What am I supposed to do? Do not do. How does this work out? How do I stay in that? And you begin to see the certain things that cause you to lose it. The grabbing or mistrust or basically what you call the unskillfully unwholesome. Hmm. Yeah. There's whole lists of these, you know, which we can all we want to recognise the feeling of what one one feels jealous or irrit or spiteful or guilty or negative or vindictive or you know, greedy. Then the mind contracts. You can't be kind of spiteful in a relaxed, open, joyful way. It doesn't work that way. (laughs) Just the system can't do it. You've got to tighten up to get some real venom going. (laughs) You just can't spit hard enough otherwise. (laughs) So when you actually kind of experience, I don't like that, you know. So you just... uh, Got to check that habit, you know that 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 kind of convulsion. I don't think any of us wants to be that way, but you get you kind of panic into it. You know things hit you, and then you sort of oh, that you know, stab. <laughs> and so the first thing you learn is just how to just check, called restrain somewhere, which is just to check the out the jump of the mind, check the outflow, check that what's happening. And it happens verbally, it comes in a thought, it happens in the heart, it starts in the heart, kind of an emotional effect. And it often spurts up out of the mouth. <laughs> and you feel a kind of a tightening in your body. Uh, and so if you think, well, just can you just get some restraint over the mouth, first of all? Because yeah. <laughs> that's... <laughs> you know... Um, yeah. And the body, of course. So we start to recognise when we're, you know, put inside a physical harm. But mostly, the, the way that people mostly create uh, the unskillful is through the speech, thought, and then speech, because those are the the uh, most easiest things to arouse. You know, they they, they just doesn't take much to get a thought going. <laughs> doesn't take hardly anything at all. Horses are just primed to come up with a, a thought or an emotion. It immediately connects. And then the thought connects to a speech. And boom. You know. And it just seems like that's really the best thing to do. <laughs> just get let it out. You know. That really is the best thing to do. You know. And you've got kind of ideologies about like speak your mind, be honest, be open, be out front, don't don't just stuff it down, don't suppress your feelings, kind of thing. And you know, it's not about suppressing your feelings, it's just about saying, Well let's just just um, just hang just hold on that one for five seconds, yeah. <laughs> because this isn't really about even making moral judgments or blaming or you know, getting heavy, it's just saying, just wait. Just, just, just wait on that kind of. You begin to recognise the, the kind of speeding and tightening, and contracting, and just, just, and the flavour of un, what's unskillful. Just, just wait, and uh, just that, you know, restraint, and uh, gives you the time when you um, gives rise to mindfulness. So effort gives rise to mindfulness it means there's some kind of supervising let me see about that yeah. mindfulness which has got an element of concentration composure and wisdom in it so, yeah, that's how it comes together you restrain you know, act of restraint is, is not a judgment not a blaming experience not an analysis even it's just a just wait and then the mindfulness will arise, a sense of like something that can bear something in mind and just feel into it more deeply. What's this about? And mindfulness brings you into the sense of the causes, the underlying heart causes behind 
um, speech and action, and also into their, their, their changing nature. You know, suddenly it pop flows away, and you begin to sense. You know, they're unwholesome. If you're mindful, the unwholesome tends to auto destruct quite quickly. It tends to. It tends to. You know, if you place mind, like a non-judgmental mindfulness on something, it doesn't sustain itself. It's as if the the very quality, because when you have um, energy and persistence, that itself, because there's energy and persistence, it it by itself dispels um, laziness and indolence. You know, so there's a sense of alertness by itself, not because you you're trying to be alert, just the fact of energy makes you alert. S- similarly, the quality of mindfulness, which is centering, balancing kind of um, factor, by itself dispels those things that are uncentered and unbalanced. It just does it by itself. So if you're mindful, of, if you really have quite mindfulness supervises, then the unskillful tends to break up. And that's 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 um and and what's left is uh, clarity stillness by itself. You don't have to create it, and yet it is dependently arisen on on mindfulness. So the way you see, you see how causes and conditions don't have to be um, kind of created as an act of the will. But they are dependent on on um, on the right, you know, faith and energy and mindfulness, and they lead to uh, deepening concentration and to understanding. And this is how one is freed, released through wisdom. A lot of the time, it's just really because the, the the thinking and the emotional and thinking um, systems are so complex and so resonant. Um, that is, they they set up kinds of ripples and resonances that start creating other thoughts and emotions. So it's uh, you know the, the sense of restraint just is really just the sense of let, let's really get this clear because there's a lot of stuff going on, and quite a lot of speech is pretty much involuntary. You know, somebody pushes a button and out comes a kind of phrase, a set, a set phrase. This kind of come bursting out, a joke, a bit of humour, which wasn't really what was needed right now, but it just comes flying out. It didn't mean anything particularly, far from just almost like a nervous reaction. Uh, so a lot of this stuff is just kind of only, only semi-conscious, just babble. <laughs> And it's not really intended intentionally bad. It's just it's just heedless. You know, one hasn't actually just paused around it and checked out. Is this really helpful, necessary, useful? Gives good results, or is it just kind of like a a reflex, an under control reflex? Uh, are you restraining it? And abandoning what's unskillful, and the whole um, with this, you know, really seeing certain things you don't need to pick up anymore. Certain topics, certain things you don't need to pick up. It doesn't go anywhere. You've done it. You've been there. And you see how kind of that 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 reflex is so compulsive how many thoughts how one has thought already there was a recently I saw a statistic of course statistics are <laughs> always a bit unreliable but I got the general drift of it was uh, the I think from Stanford University is that 93% of your thoughts you've already thought before 93% 
you've already had them. <laughs> Why are you doing it again? <laughs> and you realise it's because you, you can't stop it. It's just going on, nittering away. Yeah. So there is a deepness required to, to actually uh, uh, attend to the heart, the heart of the matter. Why is the mind squawking so much? This we cultivate, you cultivate the good. You begin to cultivate by first of all appreciating um, that one has put aside the bad. You know, I think this is really an uh, important aspect of, of practice, just to acknowledge the harm one hasn't done. And it's rather like that. A lot of the um, Buddhist cultivations are, are, are couched in terms of non-doing, the non-harming, the non-violating, the non-abusing, rather than the doing. And it's more than just a linguistic thing, because it's really that sense of relinquishment and allowing the skillful to arise from, from the relinquishment and really you just cultivate appreciation of relinquishing the unskillful and what that brings you in touch with and when we you know, just to take that time I don't know if you, for yourself, but you, you know the, the the thinking mind, my thinking mind, finds it difficult to really um, instinctively think I've really done anything much good in my life. <laughs> I have to actually consider all sorts of things I don't do anymore. Like I don't harm, I don't violate, I don't uh, intoxicate. Uh, you know, just to bring it to mind, because the the whole conditioning of the thinking mind tends to not go to the place which is just open and um, selfless. I mean, selfless in in a kind of relative way. See what I mean? That's hmm. that's arisen by itself the sphere of the harmless, the sphere of the trusting, the sphere of the loving. And I you know, so you have to just, actually one part of cultivation is just to recollect what one has put aside and to, to consider it, think it, and feel what it's like to be free of that. Um, the Buddha himself, when he was, people were in doubt, there's a one of the suttas he talks about a couple of his disciples, uh, chamberlains, ministers who were in doubt about where their practice was going, and, he, and they were so happy to see him. And he said, "Oh, you should remember, you know, you are free of the blight of stinginess. <laughs> it's like not that you're doing so much, but you actually cleaned off this kind of mildew of of, of stingy." cramped negative mind you're generous, you're grand hearted you're a friend you're someone who people see as friends who people can ask a favour of you, oh yeah right <laughs> yeah and, uh, and I, as I move in these circles I'm continually aware of this, this whole sphere of cultivation, people who are cleaned of you, know, of, you know, to what I can see anyway, I can see people who are cleaned of, of stinginess, who actually go out of their way to be generous, who go out of the, look for chances to be helpful, people who want you to ask them for a favour. Is there something I can do for you? You know, and I, think, I think this is truly marvellous. And yet probably in themselves think, oh well, you know, just not really getting very far, meditation's not much good. <laughs> so it takes something to just actually dwell in and, and uh, cultivate this appreciation of, of the skillful. Because it's, it's in a sphere that is not one's personality. 
it seems to me. That's the way it seems to me. It's like uh, bigger than you are. So your thinking mind, bigger your thinking mind, you have to actually, that's what cultivation is about. Part of it, part of the joy of it is coming out of one's self-created I- idea of who you are and, and making manifest this uh, richness. And you guard that. You cultivate and you guard it. You look after it. You don't. You don't do yourself down. Hmm. And it's easy, isn't it, to slip into the into the self-critical, the judgmental over every kind of minor mishap, accident, flaw, reflex, react you know, reaction and just so to guard it is what what do you really intend? And you notice that that where where does your heart of intention lie? And you kind of, then you, you you measure that and you recognise how you, your thinking mind can pick up reflexes, accidents, mishaps, casual remarks, as if these were your deepest intention to go out and wound others <laughs> and be a blight on the planet <laughs> you know now you realize there's a very powerful kind of uh, self-destruct uh, program that we have you know, I call it the inner tyrant so as you cultivate and develop you guard yourself against the against the ranting and the, the clouding of the inner tyrant. Uh, this is really, you know, the cultivation of, of of mindfulness and what it takes to actually to supervise and to, to open, be with the thoughts and the feelings that occur in a, in a non-judgmental and uh, open kind of way unhurried in a way that is is, is um, carries f- forward that that openness of the sphere of, of faith of that openness of that commitment to energy persistence that arises the kind of pioneering delight that rises in us that that going forth quality that, that we we get going with yeah now mindfulness is, is another extension of that into that which can bear with the ups and downs of the thoughts and the moods and the physical sensations it's bigger than that bears with that does not get confused by that finds a balance within that allows the unskillful to, to decline to pass away and settles into the wholesome the skillful and uh, uh, this is how the samadhi develops so to me samadhi is mostly a process of or happens out of mindfulness if I think of trying to get concentrated it really doesn't doesn't work like that it generally means that already my thinking is in the wrong place you know, suddenly get tight and pushy and anxious and needy. But if I start from the place of faith and putting aside the negative, the unskillful, putting aside, um, it's letting mindfulness develop. Mindfulness by itself dispels the wavering, the vacillating, the distracting. So the mind tends to come into a unity. And it comes into unity... Um, as it comes into unity, there's there's another. This is the sphere of samadhi, concentration. Concentration has the fa- the faculty of bringing of uniting the thought faculty and the mind faculty and the body faculty. That is, it's both something that has got a, a very grounded body sense to it. It's not a, a limb or you know a physical body, but it's your 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 body energy becomes grounded and steady. You get that sense of steady strength, simple steady strength. Uh, And the heart feels bright, 
and uh, spacious and the thinking mind stops thinking or reduces its thinking to just a sense of, of clarity or maybe just noting what's going on so the three then work together and this is the the, um, the sense of unity is, is so um, enjoyable carries its mindfulness is enjoyable you know, you know. I mean what my mind fell off may be just pretty mundane but the sense of finding balance and being balanced and being uh, bigger than the thought or the feeling itself is a sense of there's a, there's a pleasantness to it and samadhi is more deeply that way more deeply pleasurable because it tends to eliminate or, or quieten all the thought processes which by and large are about producing um, cognitive items that continual production line of yada 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 so that sets up a particular energy that's um, you know active, agitated you don't get really a chance to really listen when you think a lot to listen deeply to listen to feel to receive because the mind is producing so much and often it's producing something in order to have something to feel that's the funny thing about it it's why it's, so, it's such a spiral you're thinking in order to think of something that's interesting or productive or useful or fun or playful or right or clear to get some good feeling but the good feeling of thinking is so limited and to, to come out of that requires that, that effort and you know realizing the limitations the shallowness of benefit of the thinking mind and this is what you begin to really sense through mindfulness and it's like you start to uh, when you're thinking quietens down the deeper receptivity so you get a kind of fuller uh, s- sensitivity and uh, joyfulness and this is this is the basis of samadhi if you get the mind to get a, uh, into that to get a feeling for that it wants to go there it wants to stay there and it's just a matter of steadying it steering it and putting aside the, the, the forcefulness or the dithering or the doubtfulness that, that hinder samadhi that hinder that unification one very important um, resource that occurs in just cultivating that is you start to feel feel yourself from the, almost from the body up you begin to feel your, your emotions instead of just shooting up into thoughts you can feel them as much more like nervous energies um, you know dizzy, uh, dizziness or contracting or agitation so it makes the, the whole process of quieting the thoughts much simpler because you, you're dealing just with very fundamental energies you know, just a few basic energies and uh, and you start to sense how the, the all the complexities of the mind really arise from a few primary energies you know energy of uh, wanting excitement moving out to get hold of energy of resisting fearing irritation recoiling energy of, of distraction and so forth so you just get you, you sense it and then the samadhi you start to just uh, uh, clear these out settle these smooth them out calm them reassure them gather them in it's like, like massaging these, these uh, conflicted energies out of your system so it's not really about being still or trying to hold things still it's actually it is work it's a kind of subtle massaging work to the cultivation of samadhi based upon mindfulness you get a feeling for it and you want to do that and again it's the simple recipe of there's things you restrain there's things you abandon there's things you cultivate and at the same time you guard you appreciate, you acknowledge 
you know uh, this is something precious it needs to be looked after don't waste your time following every thought don't waste your time following every impulse uh, don't waste your time always considering what should and could and ought and hidden and why it isn't and how it should be and so forth you know where's this going to take you so when with with that kind of practice like that you, you wisdom begins to develop you begin to know your own mind your own uh, hot spots where you get triggered um, and you begin to know this sense of the a mind that is not flowing out it's not running out and it's not holding on and it's not retracting mm. this is one's one's uh, treasure a mind that is uh, released from these outflows and inflows and overflows mm. it's something to be um, you know, to know it for yourself So that we have uh, faith in the, in the Buddha. The fact that we have faith, we can have faith at all. That's interesting. That's yours, isn't it? There's nobody going around planting this stuff in us, injecting us with faith molecules. <laughs> the fact that we can have faith in anything, in your dog, that itself is... Hey, that's interesting, isn't it? What's that? What does it feel like? How does it happen? And the fact that when we have faith, we're energized by that. We're focused. We're motivated. That's interesting, isn't it? And that your motivation starts to move in terms of, you know, this this is no good this is some that's a waste of time develop this you get there's the energy there's the wisdom starts to develop and there's mindfulness mm. and the miracle of mindfulness that you can stand beside your mind rather than always just be in it you can stand over your heart rather than just be rolling around in it mm. This is, they don't tell you this in school <laughs> there's no encouragement like that is there and yet this is true it's not so this really when you start to have experience faith in the Buddha faith in the Dhamma you also faith in yourself this is at least as important because a lot of the time why we get snagged in the practice we may very well have you know wow marvelous Buddha enlightenment I can't do that you know you've got some wise teacher wow he you know he did this she did that she manages to give up that oh, I can't do that you know, you know that, that's uh, the feeling of you can't do it or or not this time or only other people can do it or special people can do it because of course the person who does it is, is in some way special but you're special too <laughs> what is it that just what is it that keeps holding you down into the kind of what we call the real world you know, the nine to five, the yada yada yada, the statistic, the form, the the whole the whole bit, the whole shtick of being a uh, you know, a socialized human. What what how real is that? And you know, which kind of reality would you like? <laughs> huh? And again, it's really not even a matter of, of rejecting all that, but actually of holding you know, that specific personal realm that we all have, our socialized me being, and noticing if you, if you hold it steadily and clearly, you see these rather wonderful facets coming to light. 
the urge towards the, the good, the urge towards the truth, the urge towards the peaceful. And it's our occasion and our grace, in a way, to find, um, to be moved by that as human beings, and also to find resonance with other people who, who feel the same way, and ways we can actually be guided to, to participate and bring to light our own potential. To me, there's nothing. Um, doesn't get. There's nothing more than this. And personally, I've never really doubted the path. Mostly, it's just doubting whether I can do it. But whether I can do it, I can't do it. Doubting about it doesn't do any good. So dismiss that. Abandon that. Just do right now what you can do and look into what you know the, the real source and root of the goodness don't look too much at the self definitions of how far you are or how not far you are or how far you've got to go just look into the, that you know just look instead into the causal root of the true the good and the peaceful in yourself that's where that's right view